lots of people and businesses are realising that usership can be much better than ownership. But how do you build that into your strategy? Welcome to the Circular Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Catherine Wheatman, and I started this podcast to help people discover why circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. Some people think going circular means swapping a few materials or making things a bit more recyclable. But that's nowhere near enough to create a healthy, resilient and zero carbon world where we can all thrive. Many organisations are missing the game-changing potential of going circular. The disruptors in this space are using circular strategies to reimagine how to create value for all their stakeholders. They're doing better with less. We'll hear from those inspiring people who are challenging business as usual and rethinking how we design, make and use everything. You'll find the show notes and links at circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to podcast updates, my Circular Insights newsletter and check out my award-winning A Circular Economy Handbook. Hey there, welcome to episode 122. Today I'm talking to Ian McKechnie of the Advanced Services Group at Aston Business School in the UK. The market for services, including rental and subscriptions, is growing rapidly, both for business-to-business and business-to-consumer segments. And services can be a game-changer for businesses looking to shrink their footprint, adopt circular strategies and create more value for their customers. The Advanced Services Group are specialists in servitisation, research and practice, with work that's grounded in the latest academic research, industry insight, business know-how and experience. The Advanced Services Group helps manufacturing companies and technology innovators on their servitisation journey, helping them develop service-led strategies that can transform their business models. ASG has worked with over 300 businesses, from multinational companies to small-medium enterprises, helping develop their growth strategies through services. Ian McKechnie leads activities that bring new business models, manufacturers and academics together. Clients often want to develop X as a service, looking for opportunities to reduce waste and improve circularity by designing a new business model. And that can be the driving force to improve outcomes for the business and customers. Services cover a wide variety of scenarios, including familiar options like software as a service, cloud storage, or renting things like cars, holiday apartments, and sports equipment. We might use membership services, including gyms and libraries. And now services are emerging as a way to provide more convenient, flexible options for customers, avoiding the burden and hassle of ownership. By providing services, businesses can benefit from the stability of recurring revenue, predictable income streams and easier financial planning. And sustainability is improved by using resources more efficiently. What's more, 
Providing services helps businesses get closer to their customers with many more opportunities for contact and dialogue, discovering more about what customers value and how to improve things. But it's worth highlighting that services aren't always designed to improve sustainability. Subscription services like Amazon Prime try to encourage us to buy more because delivery is free. And subscribing to receive regular, regular deliveries of disposable products like razor blades or coffee capsules isn't helping reduce all the waste from single-use products. Today, Ian tells us what Advanced Services Group does and which kind of sectors are starting to move towards service-based models. Ian then explains how companies can transition from selling products to moving along what ASG calls the services staircase, developing different types of services to create value for their customers. Ian talks about the kind of benefits these companies are seeing and how this is better for their customers too. We hear what typically holds companies back from switching to services and how they might get started. You'll hear Ian mention several of the free resources that Advanced Services Group has developed, such as the Services Staircase and the Transformation Roadmap, and I've included links for those in the show notes. Let's join the conversation with Ian McKechnie, and I'll catch up with you afterwards to share what I took away from the conversation. Ian, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, and can you please introduce us to Advanced Services Group? Yeah, my pleasure, uh, Catherine. Good morning. Uh, the Advanced Services Group uh, is a research group at Aston Business School uh, in Birmingham, the UK. Uh, we have two sides to what we do. So the Advanced Services Research Group is our engine room. That's what creates uh, the knowledge that we then share with industry. Uh, we are very fortunate to have Professor Tim Baines as our Executive Director. Uh, Tim has been at Aston Business School since 2011, uh, having joined from Cranfield University, and he leads all of our research. And we're very fortunate, again, that he is the number one cited academic in the world for the topic of servitization and advanced services. And I will go into these in a bit more detail as we go through the conversation, but it's pertinent to know that Tim is a leading authority in this space. Mm. Uh, we also have uh, an arm that is our commercial arm, the, the Advanced Services Group, where we really refer to it as our impact group. Mm. And that is the vehicle for working with industry to help firms when they're looking to change their business model, to start looking at adding more services to support their products and their customers through use. Mm. So you've got those kind of two strands. And what interest are you seeing around the world in servitization and in what kind of sectors is it, is it starting to move forward? Okay, so that's a really helpful starting point. Uh, the term servitization is really referring to a transformation that a company may go through when they're moving from selling pure products to adding services to support the product in use. Uh, the academic term was coined in the late 80s, uh, 1988, and it had American roots, hence why you tend to see it spelt with a Z, mm. uh, and is better 
searching for servitization with the Z because you then pick up on all the cases and the research literature that supports it. Uh, and we we have spent probably eight years educating uh, mostly continental Europe and in parts North America to help them understand the opportunities and the benefits that come from servitizing. And within that servitization transformation, there's an element that we focus on called advanced services. And these are the, the upper level, uh, the top layer, if you like, of how you can make customers more successful by adding services to support the product in use. Mm. So areas perhaps that are most interesting at the moment tend to be driven underlying by sustainability and circular economy. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a lot of interest from industry because they see our business model framework as a mechanism to help them change their organization. It gives them the justification for the case and mm -hmm. the base case. Uh, we also see sectors such as HVAC and the process equipment industry. We're seeing a lot of uh, activity there, in particular from people like Tetra Pak. Uh, we ran a webinar last week uh, with uh, one of the vice presidents for global services. And it was a fascinating journey. And he shared that they're actually turning over about $2 billion a year through their services revenues, through their outcome-based services and outcome-based solutions. So we're seeing a lot of movement in the process, the HVAC sector, traditional manufacturing, where we have seen the mobility sector or the truck sector mm -hmm. in particular is very active. Uh, we also see it in the medical sector. Uh, so there's a lot in clean tech, uh, and that spans across into med tech as well. So lots of interest. Uh, it was a very hard push for us. We've invested heavily uh, in supporting about 450 firms over wow. the last 11 years, uh, mostly in the UK, I must say, but we do have a, a global partnership where we have firms from North America, we have Japanese-backed firms, we have Italian partners, French partners, uh, but we are very light on UK-centric uh, firms, you know, because certainly do with more. Mm, yeah, and I think there are um, so many opportunities for doing things in a more circular way and, and yeah, the message isn't really permeating. But just to come back to a couple of those examples and perhaps bring them to life a bit. Yep. So I was trying to envisage, uh, and maybe maybe you can't talk to this, but um, Tetra Pak, what kind of things they could provide as a service. And then also for the trucks, is that around tyres or is it providing parts of the truck or is, is it kind of, you know... Um, we'll lease you this truck. Could you unpack those a little bit for us? Yeah, I think if I, if I talk perhaps on more general levels, Catherine, mm. that might help. But mm. if we look at the the mobility sector and trucks as a starting point, uh, the reason our global partnership was initiated was because of Goodyear Tyres mm. in Akron, Ohio. We were fortunate to come into contact with the global VP for innovation, uh, a gentleman called Jim Eichner, and Jim was very interested in finding ways that Goodyear could add services to support the tyre products. Mm. Uh, but he he came across Tim's book called Made to Serve, which was published back in 2013. So there, there is a new book coming out in early 2024. But uh, Jim read the book, uh, emailed Tim and said, I'm going to be in the UK, could I come up and see you in Birmingham? So that was the start of a really rich conversation because Jim said, 
I see innovation, I see the opportunity, but I find it very difficult to get it established within the organization. And it's a very lonely place mm. because no one else is able to talk in detail about what some of these outcome-based services might be. Mm. So we worked with Jim. We started recruiting other global firms uh, that had shared interests. So we brought on uh, Ishida, a Japanese high-speed food packaging company. We brought them into the conversation. We had Legrand, a French-based electronics company. Uh, we were working with Thales at the time on their land and air systems. So there's lots of these companies all with shared interest in moving from just providing the product mm. to providing the product and the service and, and moving more towards an outcome-based activity. So that tended to infer that you retained ownership of the asset, but provided the capability to the customer, sure. and hence providing better uptime, reliability, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So with Goodyear, what they were interested in was really the, the uptime for the customer. So their customer is really interested in getting goods from A to B with no disruption. Mm. So if you have a truck and you have a tire blow by the side of the road, then that's an inconvenience It drops the availability of the truck and the goods in transit, and you have all these other knock-on activities. So what Goodyear did was they started lighting little fires, as they referred to them, around the globe. And it was Luxembourg that picked up on it. And their uh, senior exec there, a guy called Mark Preedy, uh, started a company called Proactive Solutions which was all about finding ways to provide the tyre as a service. In, in essence, a tyre by the kilometre. Yeah. And Mark was very successful. And they, they invested heavily in technology companies. So they, they bought a company that made uh, drive-over tyre readers. And if you imagine the scenario where you've got a truck and a yard, and as it goes to exit with the goods, there's a green light on one side and a red light on the other. And as I went over the tire reader, if the pressures were correct and there was no gouges in the tires and the 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 condition of the tires was appropriate, the green light would go on and the truck could then go on its way. Mm. If there was any fault identified, the red light went on, the truck circled, had the issue sorted, and then was on the road. Mm. So it was all about uptime and availability. Uh, we saw that with MAN, truck and bus in the UK, but they were slightly different. They used technology to use uh, analytical. So they, they introduced sensors onto the truck, mm. telematics, mm. and they worked with a company called Microlize. And between them, they were able to then understand driver behaviors, so harsh acceleration, harsh mm. braking. And then they were able to grade the drivers, which allowed them to look for training opportunities, efficiencies, because half a mile per gallon when you're only talking about maybe mm. nine miles per gallon on the road, made a huge difference. So yeah. it was all about using the technology to understand the behavior of the driver. Yeah. So again, it's, it's using the, the business model construct to think about how you can make your customer more successful. Yes, and I really like that. And I remember um, we worked with Microlize when I was at DHL. So that was all about understanding um, driver behavior and I think it's really interesting how technology like sensors and um, machine learning to kind of you know learn more about what a good tire is what a what a slightly damaged tire mm -hmm. is finding ways to kind of 
um, you know, create images of the tyres so that we know what's good, what's bad. You know, that's that's a much um, more efficient way than asking the driver to go around and kind of try and look at all the tyres on a truck because they're not even all <laughs> all visible. So the way that new technology has really kind of added a whole layer of information that can be used in, in servitization. And I also like the example because it's not just thinking about how your customer, you know, the client starting to provide services. It's not just thinking about how it benefits their business, but they're really thinking about their customer and how they can create shared value for both. And that seems to me to be the the kind of, you know, the real golden kernel if you like of of services so we've talked about a couple of benefits around uptime and so on and and just going back to that truck and the and the tire example um and again remembering my dhl days that for some clients we'd be really worried about the dangers of that load being tampered with or hijacked and and certainly you wouldn't want a, a a lorry um, you know, broken down at the side of the road because of the risk of that. But what other kind of benefits are companies seeing, whether that's the client of yours providing the services or their end customer? Okay, that's a, a good point to start. Uh, I have a, a number of slides that I'll perhaps share with you later as we go through the conversation, but one of them involves the transformation roadmap. And this was actually... Uh, Goodyear helping us actually map and track their transformation as they went from mm. pure product company to product and service. So if I take you to this transformation roadmap, uh, we move from left to right, and you'll see that as a firm starts to add more and more services and complexity to support the product, we go through this initial phase of exploration where everyone is exploring what servitization is, will I be able to make money from it? Will it support my customers? Will it support my staff? And once the the, the topic and, the, and the, the area of servitization is understood and the, perhaps the business case is starting to, to come together, we move into this second phase, which is engagement. And that's where you're starting to get senior management buy-in. They're giving you the the ability or the resources to go and investigate and start talking to customers and perhaps running some pilots because data is key. Mm. And when you start that process, that then allows you to move with company approval and with customer approval into the third phase, which is the expansion phase. And this is where you're really starting to co-create more value with the customer. So you're using the intimacy of finding a problem that you can solve because you understand the product better than they do. Mm. And this intimacy allows you to start exploring other ways of providing services. And you can start then going up what we refer to as a servitization staircase. You can start going up and adding more value as you go, Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time, be mindful that you're also absorbing more risk because you may end up still retaining ownership of the asset rather than selling it. Mm. And ultimately, when everything is going as you expect, and the expansion allows you to start scaling. So what you're really looking for is an offer that you take to the market in a particular segment that mm-hmm. all your customers will react in the same way to a given service offering mm. because that allows you the ability to scale then sure. and you have all the efficiencies and the cost savings as yeah. a result. And that is really where we talk about this fourth phase where it's about 
I would refer to as positive exploitation, where you're working so closely with the customer that you're both going out there looking for ways that you can add more value. Mm. Now, I'll draw your attention to perhaps your starting point, which is the bottom of the diagram, where it talks about technology-centric forces. That's where we have the, the use of Internet of Things, Industrial Internet of Things, digital data, all the enabling technologies that will help get you from the left-hand side to the right-hand side much faster. Mm. And again, I would draw your attention perhaps to the top of the 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 roadmap where it talks about market-centric forces. This is customers asking you to do more for them mm. because they recognize that your capabilities, you understand the product best. They want to concentrate on their core operations, not have to look after something that they bought from you that they are then responsible for through life. Yeah. So they want to get closer. So these two dynamics are very important and help you perhaps speed your way through from the first exploration through to the exploitation phase. Yes, that's a good point. And I remember um, something from a shared value um, or sustainable uh, value workshop that I did at Cambridge a few years ago. And what they'd identified through their research was that knowledge was often not, um, you know, we didn't make the best use of knowledge in terms of what we could offer to our customers. And that companies often had lots of knowledge that, you know, they could use to, to benefit their customers. And it was all about finding ways to, to do that. Um, you know, not giving your IP away, but finding ways to help them. So, you know, around, um, if it's going back to the tyres example, um, and finding that some drivers were a bit heavy on the on the accelerator pedal and that that could wear the tires it's kind of sharing sharing that knowledge and then maybe sharing some knowledge from other customers that you've worked with who found ways to encourage the drivers to drive differently um because it's that balance isn't it drivers don't want to feel like it's a big brother thing um because then, you know, they'll push back again against that. You kind of need to make it, whether you use, I don't know, gamifying, so you're doing sort of teams and league mm -hmm. tables and not, not kind of, you know, shaming people, but making it so that everybody wants to move forward and, and you know, uh, waste less and, and reduce costs and so on, um, but in well, a positive way. Yeah, if I may, Catherine, your reference to gamification or gamifying activities, we've actually converted this into a game of snakes and ladders. Right. So one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Dan Andrews, uh, his PhD was in serious games, mm -hmm. and he creates a lot of these gamified apps that we use uh, to make it easier for companies to actually understand where they are, where the opportunities sit, and how to go about it. Mm. Uh, and perhaps maybe a, a good example of that might be this slide here where we have a business model blueprint. Mm -hmm. So another colleague, uh, Dr. Parachet Nike, he took the the business model framework that we, we use within servitization and created this app, which we make it free and available to use. Right. Uh, and, and you'll see on the bottom right-hand side, once you go through the whole digital process, it then gives you a printout or a digital copy of a PDF of your whole business plan for a new business model mm. and how you will 
look at the customer value proposition, how you will deliver that value to the customer, how you will be paid for the delivery of that value, and the competitive advantage that, that will give you. So it's very pertinent in that context. Yeah, that looks like a brilliant tool. And and again, that's Advanced Services Group sharing some of the vast knowledge that you have to help companies improve their businesses. So, you know, it's kind of a, a win-win, isn't it? So what typically holds companies back from switching to services? What sort of objections do you come up against? Okay, uh, what objections? Finance can be a tricky one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I, if I perhaps share the services staircase, mm-hmm. this is a, a really good example of firms understanding where they are on that. So if you if you look at in fact, Catherine, if I may, let mm. me start at a different place. Sure. If we look at this diagram, what we're really seeing is in the servitization world, you're really looking at the product plus different types of services. Mm. And you have these base services, which might be simply oils, coolants, filters, belts, just consumables, just to make sure that the asset is operating. Mm. You then go up into that middle area, the intermediate services, where this is where you would perhaps see scheduled or planned maintenance. So this is about making sure that the asset in its optimized condition. When you go up into the advanced services area, this is really where you're starting to get so intimate with the customer that perhaps they don't need to buy the asset because you're providing it as a capability under an outcome-based contract to them. Mm, sure. So you have these three steps. Now, the services staircase that I have here. And, and just, uh, be, just before you start that, Ian, just to kind of clarify the base services bit, the consumables would be provided by the company that's providing the the equipment you know the 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 truck the engine the whatever um so they're providing consumables to help that equipment operate in a better way it's not not necessarily it could be both it could be that the company decides to do it themselves Mm -hmm. and they go out and they purchase the filters the oils the belts the consumables Mm -hmm. and they do whatever they need to do to make sure that the asset is in available condition. Mm. So it's not necessarily the the manufacturer. And this is where this weakness between when you sell the asset, Mm -hmm. you may have some sort of warranty with it, but out of warranty period, the company may want to just buy their own consumables to keep it operating. Mm, Sure. So you may find that the the originator of the asset provides these consumables for a period of time when it's under warranty, but perhaps nothing after that. So you do see this this hybrid starting to happen. Mm. And we tend to recognize it in these three steps where companies might do it themselves or companies might do it with you or companies might get you to do it for them. Mm. And that's, again, this base, intermediate, and advanced layering. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Does does that help? Yes, it does. Thank you. Yeah. So if I go back to this services staircase, what we see here is two orange levels, which is representing the base. So that's really we supply products or we supply spare parts for the product. Then you've got three intermediate service levels where you're looking at the condition of the product, you're restoring it, it's a break-fix environment, or you're looking at assured maintenance. So this is this planned or scheduled maintenance that we talked about earlier, or performance advisory. Now, this is an interesting area because this is where you start to see the use of digital and data starting to play much more of a role. 
because you're starting to use sensors to get that feedback about the product condition. Mm. And in many cases, it might be the originator of the asset has a sensor that feeds back through a 5G or a 4G or a SIM card, and they understand that it's operating conditions, and they can then do something about it if they see a potential failure. Mm. So there's a lot in that digital uh, performance advisory level. When we refer to these advanced services, these outcome-based offerings, we look at perhaps at a product level. So we're starting to introduce this word guarantee. So we guarantee the outcome from the product, or we guarantee the outcome from the process, or we guarantee the outcome from the platform or ecosystem you could you could envisage it as. And that's really where it starts to get interesting. From a circularity and a sustainability perspective, what we're really looking at is encouraging firms to move away from owning things to this usership, to using mm. things. So not necessarily needing the asset, but understanding the capability that they need to make their business successful. So like this is where we start seeing a lot of the Scandinavian research where they look at it as a way to dematerialize, i.e. use fewer raw materials in the design of the asset in the first place because they understand the customer need in a better way. Sure. Yeah, I think it's it's I really like the the staircase um and you know kind of breaking it down into into mini stages would make it much less daunting for customers. Um, you know, lots of people just really struggle with the idea of suddenly moving from we sell products to we guarantee the outcomes of, of what we've sold you for X years. Um, so I think this, the staircase thing makes it much more approachable. Um, and obviously you've then got the, the kind of, you know, the all the other elements of advice that you're helping people with in terms of understanding what their customer really wants, understanding what knowledge they might have that isn't shared, understanding how technology could fill in some of the gaps around information and and condition reports and so on. So thanks, that, that's really interesting. And um, Ian, I can tell that you're really passionate about this, but what excites you most about the work that Advanced Services Group does? Uh, it's about the impact. Uh, we... We, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Tim, as our exec director, Tim, Professor Tim Benz, he is the the leading cited academic in this space, and we we're we're able to take Tim's research and and colleagues, Professor Andy Big, uh, Ali Bigdelli, and Professor Andreas Schroeder, uh, Dr. Ahmed Boltagi, Dr. Chris Owen. We take all of their research. And we have a very clear line of sight to industry, which allows us to have that engagement, which allows us to help these companies to then create impact in their markets. Mm. So it's that very visible line of sight between the research being created within Aston and then transferred through the relationships with industry, through our global partners, through our regional partnerships, uh, in a way that we're helping the companies actually transform. and. Perhaps if I may, if I share one slide with you, it might be this, that this is a representation of a business model. And what we really do is we we spend some time at the front end empathizing with the company to understand their position in the market and what they're offering. And then we start with the top left-hand side, the blue box, which is the customer value proposition. Mm -hmm. Now, as you'll see from the little indicator on the right, 
we tend to spend about 60% of our time in that box because it's crucial that the, the company understands the segment that they're targeting, understands the pains that are in that environment that the customer has as a pain maybe in the way that they operate the product or they use the product or the supply chain, whatever. Uh, but it's also about productivity and looking at gains. Mm. So it's understanding the way that the customer uses the product, perhaps using digital and data to understand it, to then optimize it. So you're getting an increase in OEE as a result of that. But it's also about understanding what are the contracted outcomes, because you've got to start at that very early point to understand how you're going to deliver this to your customer. Mm, sure. And that leads you into the top right-hand side, which is the value creation and delivery system. So this is all the internal mechanism of the company, the people, the skills, the heritage, the knowledge, the digital, the data, the sales, the marketing, all of these functions, if they understand the value being transferred to the customer, can operate in different ways and they become more effective. Mm. And again, about 10% of my time is spent in that area. Then we go down to that bottom left, which is about the value capture process. Because once you've got a value proposition and you're able to understand how to deliver it and can deliver it, then it's about how do you get paid for that? And there are different revenue models that sit within that box that we're very familiar with. Mm. And lastly, you move on to that competitive advantage. What does having a product and service in a package offer to your market that makes you more successful, that differentiates you from your competitors? And how can you then work with the academic authority to improve and optimize that again? Mm, sure. And then lastly, we talked earlier about uh, Dr. Dan Andrews and his gamification work. Dan has created a storytelling wheel where we use 12 steps to then capture the four quadrants that you see there are the four elements of the quadrant that you see there. And that is then able to be articulated into a short story that can be used to inform or get board approval for further resources or people or investment. But it could also be used to get your customer to say yes to a pilot, to try something different. Mm. So all in all, these things all, uh, if you look at the services staircase to understand where you are, if you look at the business model representation here, you can understand where you're innovative and you could be innovative in the blue, the purple and the orange. And in combination, they give you even more innovation and advantage in the green box. And then overlaying that with understanding the transformation roadmap, that journey that you will go on through the four phases. Mm. I, I love the way you provide all these these tools to help people walk through it, help them develop their thinking around it, help them think in different ways about what their customer really needs. I think it's really powerful and I can imagine it's, you know, it's eye-opening and, and really game-changing for so many, so many customers. So thanks, thanks for sharing that with us. So we're running up to the end of our time now, Ian, so I'd like to move on to our quick-fire questions. And, and could we start, I'd like to ask you if, you if you'd please share your number one lesson learned or top tip for a business that's talking about wanting to go more circular. I would, perhaps my, my best tip would be stop thinking about the product and start thinking about the customer. Because it's in that customer relationship that you understand where these opportunities to provide services sit. 
And in understanding that and understanding the application of the product and service, you can then optimize, you can bring in digital data, IoT, uh, and then you can redesign. So we've done some really good work with Rolls-Royce where we created a, a, a mini guide called Engineering Design for Service. And that's about helping firms think about the service needs as companies and organizations move into a service dominant logic. So we know that servitization is a mega trend. It's not going to go away. We see the data behind it showing all the companies starting to move into this space. Uh, they've been driven there by a number of activities. One, sustainability, circular economy, carbon reporting will be key. Understanding actually your scope one, two, and three carbon reporting and who is then responsible for that will become critical. So we see all of these external factors changing, but it really starts with looking at the customer and not focusing particularly on the product. Understand the capability that your customer is looking for. Yes, sure. And I'm just reminded of something that um, I got pushed back on recently from a, a client I was delivering some training to, and I was talking them through a product as a service example. And what they couldn't couldn't see was how that could be more circular they were kind of locked in this thinking of well you know so so i've bought this as a service somebody's delivered the performance of the product to me but how does that make it more circular and it was only by explaining that the product itself remained the responsibility of the supplier and therefore it doesn't automatically make them design it in a more circular way but it's highly likely to because if they design something that's you know not repairable, can't be refurbished, can't be remanufactured, and maybe can't even be um, disassembled into its constituent parts, then what they've got back at the end of the of the period is a liability. Whereas if they design something that can easily be refurbished and resold to another batch of customers who have different budgetary responsibilities but still want the high quality product or can be remanufactured and sold with another guarantee and at the end of its final life can be you know recycled easily and effectively cost effectively then you've got something that's much more of an asset and you're able to make extra returns on that same product so you know it doesn't automatically happen but it just feels way more likely to encourage those kind of circular design features. Yeah, I, th I think perhaps one of the really good examples might be Care. And I think you've you've spoken mm. to Dave McKern this previously, I think, Catherine. Uh, but Care uh, provide uh, cooling as a service in Singapore and Malaysia and other uh, areas. And they used to sell air conditioning units to office blocks and uh, apartment blocks and now what they do is they they design the cooling system they provide it as a capability they take responsibility for the water that is consumed so they take that as a cost they and of course it's in their interest to optimize the amount of water that's been used they, they take responsibility for the electricity being consumed so again it's in their interest to reduce the amount of power being consumed by their units but more so what happened was they traditionally when they sold them their cooling systems had a 15-year life. Uh, by providing it as a capability, they can do so for 15 years. 
But because they are maintaining it, they know it's conditioned, they're optimising it, when that contract perhaps comes to an end at the end of 15 years and the customer wants the latest technology to be put in, they've got another secondary market life for about seven years with the asset because it's still in really good condition. So again, it's about that circularity, but it goes back to the principle that they're also considering engineering design for service. So how do they design the unit that can be recycled and repurposed and, and reused or remade and remanufactured in some cases? How can they do that from the starting point? Yeah. And they do that by thinking about what the customer needs are. Yeah, exactly. And it just all, everything about it kind of encourages less consumption and more circularity. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah. I think it's really a really exciting um, framework for people to use to think about what their, what their business is all about. So, Ian, is there somebody that you'd like to give a shout out to as a favourite circular economy example or a disruptor or thought leader? Perhaps a very early example uh, was a service company that then reimagined themselves as a product and service company. Mm -hmm. So they they used to service uh, grease traps in restaurant kitchens, mm -hmm. and they would go around different restaurants, and they would get a call to say, "Look, the trap is stuck, it's jammed, it's clogged. Can you come and uh, service it?" And in doing so, they were finding out that there was lots of common pains that they thought they could fix very easily because they understood the, the nature of the service. So they then designed a product that was made easier at lower cost, easier to install and service, and did away or minimized the, the, the likelihood of it clogging up. And therefore, they were coming from this service but saw the opportunity, wanted to become circular in practice and found a way to do it. Uh, and it also made the customers more successful because they didn't have all these intermittent breaks in service when the, the, the trap for the grease was clogged. Yeah, sure. So again, companies thinking in different ways about trying to alleviate pains that their customers have, but do so with the mindset of sustainability and circular. Yeah, brilliant. I like that. And uh, and plus it reduces the fire risk as well. <laughs> <There's>, yeah, <laughs> that's often of the cause of, of fires, particularly in, in commercial um, kitchens. So, Ian, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing to help create a better world, what would that be? I think it would be bringing... Perhaps the large companies are already in the services space and, and investigating servitization and advanced services. There's a long way to go. As I said at the start, we have lots of continental Europe uh, partners, uh, Japanese, North American. Uh, when we run webinars, we've got 26, 28 countries involved. So we know as a mega trend, it is global. But we are perhaps lacking in the UK for small mid large size companies mm. starting to explore perhaps using a servitized business model to look at how they can become more sustainable and circular so turning it around and, and looking at the 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 arguments for sustainability and circular and saying could this business model could being innovative with the business model be part of that solution yeah absolutely and i i agree uh, wholeheartedly that it's all about the business model and that's 
that scary, but that's the the key to unlock um, circularity, regeneration, and you know reducing the amount of stuff that we're producing and and consuming, which is the only way that we're going to lessen the footprint. So so thank you. And just finally, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to to add um, so that we we call this interview complete? Okay. Uh, perhaps just a, a signposting to the website uh, sure. because we have lots of case studies on there. We have uh, years of webinars where we bring in industry experts to get them to articulate their own stories in the same way that you have kindly done with me today. Uh, so it's just advancedservicesgroup.co.uk. Very easy to find. Thank you, Ian. And we'll put those links in the show notes. And also, I think for those people who are listening on audio only, the links to the slides that you shared, which I think I think most of those anyway are, are available online. So where they're av- freely available, then we'll put those links in so that um, people can perhaps have them in front of you whilst you're in front of them whilst you're talking through them. Um, but I think they're they're really useful tools. So thanks for sharing those with us. And Ian, that's been fascinating. And it's really encouraging to hear about the growing interest in providing services and support instead of just selling stuff. So thanks so much for taking the time to share that with us. My pleasure. Thanks, Catherine. Services can be a game changer for circular strategies. Services can keep products in use for longer by helping customers maintain, repair and optimise the use of products and equipment, even if the customer still owns the product itself. Services can help us use products more intensively by making it easy for us to rent or borrow them when we need them. Businesses can go further and sell the performance of their equipment. Relatively new concepts include cooling as a service, where the client pays for the temperature it needs and the provider is responsible for the equipment, consumables, energy and reliable performance. And you might have come across lighting as a service, where the client pays for the light levels it needs and the provider is responsible for the light fixtures, bulbs, energy and reliable performance. What's more, services can make it easier to recover and revive things at the end of use by providing care and maintenance while the product is in use, with the provider owning assets that are in great working condition and that can have another useful life perhaps after some refurbishment. So there you go, another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our very knowledgeable guest this week, Ian McKechnie, and thanks also to Barry O'Kane for making the episode possible. I've also included a link to the new book that Ian mentioned, Servitization Strategy, Delivering Customer-Centric Innovation, by Tim Baines of ASG. And that's out on February the 11th, 2024. You can find out more about Ian McKechnie and ASG and check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, the company I started to help you succeed with Circular. You can find information on my talks, workshops and advice, plus circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info. And you can connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. 
I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can do better with less. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. If you're just starting out with the circular economy, why not check out our Getting Started playlist on the podcast homepage. You could also buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out the interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening to the end. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.